Thanks for listening to The Idea Fountain Season 5, which is all about creators. I'm Julie Pilot, and in Episode 1 of Season 5, Sir Mix-A-Lot shared how an independent rapper from Seattle created one of the most popular, most controversial, most licensed songs of all time that completely shifted culture to what it is today. I still can't believe that 2022 is going to be the 30th anniversary of Baby Got Back. If you didn't hear it, make sure to check it out. And now today in Season 5, Episode 2, we're going to head to Queens with Anik Khan for a deep dive on how his new release reflects his immigration journey. Denied and approved completely ties culture and community together. It amazes me how when anybody shares their authentic story, you never know who it'll resonate with and who will come knocking on your door. For Anit Khan, it was Bernie Sanders and AOC. More on that in the episode. But before we get started, one piece of housekeeping. We're kicking into an Idea Fountain Creators book club starting on September 22nd. Every other week, we'll be doing an IG Live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. I'd love you to join to discuss William Darrowish's The Death of an Artist, How Creators Are Struggling to Survive in the Age of Billionaires and Big Tech. I don't know all the answers, but I do know it's so important to talk about what's happening with creators and let's see where it takes us. All info and more available on the Idea Fountain newsletter, which you can sign up for at juliepilot.co or the link in bio on IG at the Idea Fountain. Let's jump into it with an This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. Okay, we'll officially kick off the interview uh, for the Idea Fountain. I'm so excited uh, that this season on the Idea Fountain that we're doubling down and focusing on creators. And Anit Khan, I'm so excited to talk to you today because there are certain artists in the world that I think should just be like a hundred times more well-known than they are. And you are one of them. And um, so, you know, I really want to talk about your music and everything that's happening. Um, so people know you, but the headline for me is culture. And you're such an expert in it. On, you're such an expert on it. And I'm inspired about how you use culture to connect with community, drive your goals, add momentum. And really, I think it gives you an aspiration to do more because it'll help others. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Um, my driving force is definitely community. Uh, and that's obviously because of my biggest inspiration, you know, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle, who, you know, his art was kind of just the driving force for everything else that he built, whether the coding program that he built in, you know, Crenshaw and uh, the schools that he's helped with their courtyards and completely changing their basketball courts to make sure they're okay. You know, everything that he did with the marathon clothing, he hired felons that usually wouldn't get hired, you know what I'm saying, ex-felons and stuff like that. Um, and so I kind of see it in the same way. So when I, you know, when I, when I do get to help the community or when I do get to like uh, involve them and stuff, it just, it makes my heart bigger. It makes me feel like, you know, my music had a purpose outside of uh, just like your listening pleasure, you know? 
Yeah. And, and when we talk about community and culture, it, it seems like you really represent for two places. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, Bangladesh and Queens. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yes. Well, I really, I think Bangladesh more because the press has made me like only speak about Bangladesh, but I feel like in terms of, I, I, I represent Queens and I represent third world black and brown foreign countries. That's like a better way to say it. Cause I love Bangladesh, but I equally also love Ethiopia and Eritrea and Egypt and you know, like all of these places. So let's do a quick, like, I mean, I hate to, I, I hate to say this and I don't want to sound stupid, but I think it's important. Like, just like a brief history and like geography check for people that don't know, because I'm still learning all the time. You yeah. know, I, I told you, I was talking to a coworker earlier this year and he was breaking down, not Bangladesh, but India for me. And he, was, he said something that blew my mind. He said that India could very well be compared to Europe because there are different regions that are so close in proximity where the cultures and the languages <laughs> are completely different. And I didn't know that, like to take the outline on the uh, globe of India and like think about compartmentalizing it like Europe. And then uh, one of the most popular languages in India is Bengali, right? But um, like a little bit of the history on Bangladesh because um, it contributes to the reason your family came here, right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, India is obviously a subcontinent. You know, it is huge. And people come sometimes, you know, because it's just a country, people consider it to like everything to be the same in that country. Because before the partition, Pakistan and Bangladesh were also a part of India, right? So. Uh, it I compared to more like Africa and how like you know you can't be like hey I'm African because that's just you're just saying you're an entire continent where there's Morocco on the north side there's you know Johannesburg on the south side there's Congo on the west side and Ethiopia on the east side you know like which is all completely different cultures so that's very similar in terms of India and having Bangladesh be on the east side Pakistan being on the west side and then India having a north and a south side <clears throat> Sri Lanka Nepal um, these are all what we call Desi, uh, which means it's D-E-S-I, which means uh, uh, Desi means uh, people who are under the South Asian belt that are have a closeness to India, whether you're from Nepal or Bangladesh or India, Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And mm -hmm. so um, within that, all of us are extremely different. In Sri Lanka, they speak Tamil. In Bangladesh, we speak Bengali, uh, Bangla. Uh, in Pakistan, they speak Urdu, and then obviously India has Hindi and like 140 other <laughs> languages well, or something crazy like that. And it's nuts too. It's so easy. And I blame the American public school system, right? Like how little we know, because when it comes to British colonialism, and like you were saying, the partition, I, I really didn't even know the full story and then even prepping for this, looking at a little bit of history, it was wild because um, when they were setting up or dividing up the partitions, it was the Mountbatten plan. And I was like, yo, the Mountbatten's, that's the crown. And it, it just, it, it blows my mind that you, you know, 
can be watching this Netflix series and it's not that long ago that these countries were occupied and you know the mountain battens and the windsors and all of that still exists today again that might be super obvious for you but it was like a good reality check for me for sure yeah i mean there's you know we can get into colonialism and what that did to, the, to these countries but that's a completely different conversation for another time but yeah it, it you know it's 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 interesting because uh, i don't know if if the if they didn't put the lines in, you know, I don't know if we would have still just all be called India with different states, you know, like Muslim states and uh, lang different language states. And that's obviously always like a what if or what's going on. But I think uh, in the long scheme of things, you know, Pakistanis are very proud of being Pakistani. Bangladeshis are very proud of being Bangladeshi, Nepalis as well, and Sri Lankans. Like we're all very proud of our distinct differences, even though we have a lot of similarities. Yeah. And before we get to your citizenship, which is why we kind of, you know, started really digging into culture and history and um, all of that, I will say on the Queen side, that's where we really first met, because uh, when you made your album Kites, which um, describe the how you sync the album again. Yeah, so basically it was a trip on the E-train. So you start on Queens Plaza once you get to Queens and you end at Jamaica Ave. That's the full stop between the E-train from uh, the full stop of Queens from the fr front of the borough to the back of the borough before you have to take like a two fare bus zone. And so each record was uh, contributed to each like of the neighborhoods as you're going up the stops. So like as you're going through and you're going through track one, it's Cleopatra, which has like a more South Asian influence. And there was a lot of South Asians in Astoria at one point, which is where we came, where you met me to eat. Uh, we had yeah. food and it you know, continuously matured as you as you go through the stops, the more, you know, countries and the more influences you get to hear of those places as you keep going through Queens and what, you know, Queens would look like. It's, a, it's like a journey through Queens Boulevard. I, and that's why I love culture so much, right? Like we started this talking about um, South Asia and how different the cultures are and how um, India is divided up in different areas and how different the cultures are. But then you're talking about just the neighborhoods on the E-train, right? And yeah. how distinct the cultures are. And when you originally um, played me the album and you were telling that story, I realized like, aside from flying out of JFK, I hadn't spent that much time in Queens. And uh, so the next time I went to New York, you hosted me and that was so dope. I'm so glad you got to come out. We got, we, we had a lot of fun. We, we it was a such a memorable day. It was so funny because I rolled with everybody from my crew and it was pouring rain, like New York pouring rain. And we got on the wrong train and like, we're walking all over, but like, it was like the happiest time too, because it was raining so hard that you had no choice but to laugh. And like, I remember Cosine was with me and he was like, trying to show off and do this like singing in the rain move and like swing around a like light pole and his umbrella went the wrong side. Uh, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was a mess, but like one of my favorite New York days I ever had. And I love too that, you know, last year when everybody was, um, uh, in the last couple of years, when everybody was campaigning for the election, how Bernie and AOC grabbed you to perform at a rally in Queens. 
Yeah, that was beautiful. I have to give that out to the local politicians, the local Bangladeshi women politicians, because that really was the reason I was able to meet Bernie and AOC. Um, Bernie and AOC's camp reach out to, you know, these local politicians. It was like, who do you think would be a good fit in terms of New York City, in terms of Queensbridge projects? Because it's the largest projects in, 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 in the country. And Bernie Is it? Wanted, I yes. didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah, and Bernie wanted to have a, you know, speech, uh, uh, next to the largest projects in the country to, you know, to show that, you know, they're a part of it. And so, um, you know, the Bangladeshi women in council, uh, you know, reached out to me and Ani and was like, you know, who better to represent Queens than you, you know, as an immigrant and as everything that you represent. And it was one of, you know, the most beautiful days of, of, of my life. I really felt like, you know, that was like a really cool thing to do. And honestly, like, it's interesting because like, as an artist, I try to stay away from politics in terms of like sides and stuff like that. Just because like uh, being an immigrant in this country, being a foreigner, I've never really trusted the government and they haven't really given me a reason to trust them. But something about AOC and Bernie just felt so good to me. And my heart was leading into like, you, know, you really like these guys and like, you know, it's okay to support something that feels good in your heart. And, uh, I believed in everything they were talking about. And, you know, unfortunately he didn't win, but um, what he got to do, what he's got, what he got to say and what he got to share was really important to me. And more importantly, even for AOC, because I think she has such an amazing future ahead of her. And she represents uh, uh, two districts in the Bronx and in Queens and in Queens, she represents Jackson Heights. So she's very familiar with the Bangladeshi community and she's Puerto Rican. And that, you know, I grew up with Puerto Rican, like it's, it's, that's so normal to us. You you say that to anywhere else in the you know in the country. They're like, what? Why is that even possible? But like, AOC knows how to speak some Bangla, you know, because of the fact that she grew up, you know, in the Bronx with so many Bangladeshis and has to represent people in Queens. And you know, we're always mingling with each other. Like, we kind of have to live amongst each other. You know, the 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 laborer worker, the labor worker immigrants. So if you're Dominican, if you're West Indian, if you're Puerto Rican, if you're Bangladeshi. You know, we're all in the same trains. We're all on, in the same neighborhoods. We're all having to interact. And and I'm curious, has the neighborhood always been like that or did it evolve? Because like, I think of um, when you say Queensbridge projects, and I don't know if this is right, but I think of Nas, right? Yeah, was the neighborhood that mixed when he was growing up too? So I didn't grow up in Queensbridge projects. Okay. I grew up in Astoria, which is right next, right next to Queensbridge projects, but um, yeah, the neighborhood's been, the funny thing is the neighborhood's changing now because Queensbridge and Astoria are very close to the city. They were one to two stops away from 59th and Lex. So it's actually changing more now because of the gentrification and it's, you know, Astoria now is like the Queens Williamsburg. That's what people call it. Like with uh. the, like it's like the Williamsburg of Queens, you know, which is hilarious. But, uh, when I grew up, you know, there's no, you couldn't like every school looked like the United Nations, you know, like my friend circle, the whole reason I make the music that I do or have the influences that I do is because from an early age of third grade, my close friends were Brazilian, Trinidadian, Greek, Bosnian, uh, Jamaican, mm -hmm. you know, th these guys were all Colombian, like these guys were all the people that I'm hanging out with all the time. And from third grade all the way up to high school so so it's you literally have to be around 
you know what I'm saying? These things. And there are a lot of, I, and I think this only happens in like these major cities like Toronto, New York, and London, where like, you know, where we always think of the projects as like a very black and Latino, Latino, Latin X, like Hispanic uh, situation. But in New York, only in New York and specifically in Queens and London and, and, and Toronto, where that's also not the case. There's a lot of, you know, there's 300 Bengali families in Queensbridge projects. There's, you know, uh, uh, more than a hundred something in Harlem. Like we are definitely also integrated in those places. And for better or for worse, it has helped in terms of integration and understanding between one another, you know? Right. Uh, and I love, I don't want to tell all your secrets so you can take a pass on this one, but you told me something that I thought was really incredible and it was your vision for TFA five years from now. Yeah. Like, will you, will you speak it into the universe or am I revealing too much? No, for sure. I got you. Um, the TFA is, is my company. It's my media company called The Foreign Affair. And I'd like it to be the representative of black and brown foreigners as a media company. And, you know, my, my goal in five years is for that Sudanese hijabi that like is really good at rapping, but like is kind of, does like doesn't even want to try to jump into it because she she just she can't even fathom how to even get into that world because her dad is a cab driver or her mother is a cashier and like she has no type of connection or degrees of separation to anything she could be like no I do have I can think of a home I know where my home could be the way somebody from LA coming up who spits crazy bars but also is very uniquely into experimental um, hip hop can be like TDE is the place for me. Like the instantly when they can say that, you know, I want to be able to say that about about the foreign affair and not just through music, but through everything. If someone's making a documentary, if someone's making a film and it's about a Sudanese neighborhood or a Somalian neighborhood in, in Seattle, you know, I want them to be like, oh, the first person I got to show this to is the foreign affair. Like that's the first company we have to show this to because they represent, they understand us, they represent us. And, you know, I just want to be able to show and provide more for black and brown foreigners and for us to not be, because uh, I think there is a lot of inclusion happening in the entertainment industry because times are moving. But I do think in that inclusion, there is a lot of, uh, what do you call that? Like, uh, like making it seem like everyone's the same, like everyone's one. So for example, yeah. like, They'll include Caribbeans, but like they'll think all Caribbeans are, are the same. Instead of understanding that, like, you know, Trinidad is very different than Jamaica and Haiti in, is very different than the Dominican Republic and things like that. So, you know, for me, I'd like to be able to, I'd like the foreign affairs to be able to be like, no, this person is not just East African, this person is Somalian, and this is very different than Ethiopia, and they need their show as well on Netflix yeah. and they're you know they need their represent representation as well and you know that's that's what makes me most passionate about doing what I'm doing well and I think representation matters so much not only having the distribution right like that's gotten a lot easier for music anybody can put anything up and connect to a fan base but what you're saying about being able to see it see it and get a feel is so important. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day who's an old hip hop head from New York. 
And he was telling me about how growing up, they just hated all the rap coming out of the West Coast, right? Until they saw the music videos. And then when they saw Dre and NWA, everybody going around in low riders and palm trees, like they got it. The music made sense. So, you know, it's like being able to travel without travel when you can actually see it. Yeah, for That's sure. It. So for people don't know who don't know, it's a really, really, really important time in your career right now because you're having a lot of big firsts. But, you know, just give a lay of the land of where you're at. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is my first EP projects in, in the span of four years because of my journey of citizenship. And uh, in 2017, when I released Keist, I was kind of kind of at the height of my career, doing a lot of streams, getting a lot of buzz and, and you know, selling out my first headliner in New York, then to supporting Jadena on tour. And I wasn't able to travel to Canada and the other places like Africa when they were trying to make me go and it, and it broke my heart. And it was just, you know, anytime that I was making some headway, people from London, people from Amsterdam, my colors, like they always, they all wanted me to be a part of something and I wasn't able to do any of those things. And so it kind of retracted me from making music and stuff like that. And so this, this project is called Denied Approved. And it's a journey about my citizenship and, and about visibility and invisibility. And Denied is what my music sounded like before they let me get my citizenship and before they let me travel. And Approved is what it felt like after. So it's been really an exciting time because finally after four years, I'm getting to put out another project. The first half Denied came out and, you know, the community has been loving it and there's a lot of people that has just been waiting to hear my voice and waiting to hear what I've had to say. And it's a really deep, deeper dig into who I am outside of my, you know, uh, outside of my ethnicity and what I represent culturally. It's, 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 it's deeper into like who I am as a man and who I, what my characters are, what my morale is like, what's happened to me in the past four years. And then approved is when you did, when they did let me get my citizenship and the joy in that and what that feels like and just having a good time and, you know, making music for women to move their body because that's like one of my favorite things to do in the world. And that is, you know, that that is coming out on September 10th. And I was able to announce my first headlining tour, which I was never able to do before because of all of the paperwork and stuff like that. And so this will, this will be the first time since 2017 really 2016 because that's when I put out Too Late Now and when a lot of people started getting aware of me like the Ebros and the Zaymos and things like that for me to be able to get into offices and meet people like you and stuff like that. So since like then, it's, you know, I, I guess it's been about four, five years. This will be my first time as an artist actually touring and headlining a tour and seeing what that looks like. And, you know, I wish I was able to experience that earlier when I had kites and I was doing the run. But regardless, I'm really grateful that I am now and I'm just so excited to be in front of the people and perform and get to share uh, my my art and get to share that energy and you know show it to a bunch of people who couldn't ever believe a couple of years ago that someone like me could exist you know so that to me is that, that those are the exciting things that I'm really excited about and then also I have some new merch coming out a bundle package of that merch um, you know we collabed with uh, Profound Aesthetic which is uh, a very dope probably the only South Asian high-end luxury fashion brand that is a successful high-end luxury fashion brand. And they are, uh, you know, 
I got to talk to the owners and they obviously heard of my music from before and they've always felt that invisibility in fashion the same way I felt it in music. And so we were able to collab and get together to make uh, the official merch for Denied and Approved. And uh, I'm super excited to you know get that out for the people and just be able to test the people, share my art, share my share my clothes, share the things that you know I would want to wear growing up that I didn't get to see or wear, and 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 see how th- things go after that. You know, for people that are listening that might be dealing with citizenship challenges, right? Like I know from the volunteer work I do, there's kids that I've mentored that have green cards and or are dreamers, part of DACA that are almost there, but have never been able to get over the line. What was the path to citizenship like for you? Yeah, so uh, we moved to this country when I was four years old. Um, Once I, when we moved here, we were completely illegal, trying to figure out how to get a work permit and stuff like that. We did not have, and back then in the, in the early nineties, there wasn't any DACA programs or anything like that. Um, And so, uh, at nine years old, my grandparents passed and we had to go back to Bangladesh. My father obviously wanted to see his, you know, his mom. And, uh, and when, when uh, we went out there, we got stuck. We were supposed to go for three months in the summer and we got stuck for a, a year. So again, I'm, you know, in Bangladesh, I don't came here and went to kindergarten to third grade and I completely missed all of fourth grade. Uh, I can't even imagine because like you go back because there's a emergency, <laughs> right? And you're going through that and you leave your apartment and then you just can't come back. Can't like come all back. these things, everything. Yeah. And because, you know, the thing is, it's the funny thing is, it's like my father, my mother are not, their English is not their first language. And so they have to trust people who they might not know that well. And so when my father was talking to lawyers or people to see if he can go back and stuff like that, you know, these people were essentially feeding him lies because a lot of people can take advantage of immigrants like that. Because what do what do we know? We're not we don't understand what's going on. But if somebody tells us good news and they're good at speaking English and they got a suit on and they look presentable, we're going to be like, oh, we believe this guy. I'm mm-hmm. sure, he, you know, he's saying the right things back then. I don't obviously I was very young. I don't see how you could be illegal, go to a country and then come back. But someone told my father he was going to be able to do that. So we got stuck. We had to come back here on completely different names. And then once we got back here on completely different names, we then reverted back to our original names and all of these things. Like it it was like a whole, it was like a whole thing. And then we weren't allowed to talk about any of that. I don't even know I'm allowed to talk about it now, honestly, but because that was like really illegal. But by the way, I did do one idea fountain interview in the past where we talked about all of this with immigration and then I had to take it down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I, once we got our citizenship, it was less scary because we were like, you know, whatever. Like, that's the only reason I'm saying it. I'm like, what are you going to do? You're going to take away my, I don't think you're allowed to do that. But anyway, um, uh, I got my fast forward when I came back at nine or 10. I didn't get my green card until I was 15 years old. So now I'm in this country, you know, a total of nine years. And was that because of like a DACA AB 540 situation that you were able to get your green card? So not DACA, but my father spent, you know, a lot of money on immigration lawyers and and and, and uh, 
a lot of uh, figuring out how to get it. We moved here because of political asylum. So we had a, a little bit of a of an edge in terms of like, you know, my father was a part of the government back mm -hmm. in Bangladesh. He was a part of the politics and being there would have been dangerous for him and my family. So that was something that helped us out. Um, so we didn't all get our green cards until that, that time. But the crazy thing is it's like, the government doesn't care if your family gets it at the same time or not, you know, which is like a very strange thing. Because if, if my mother gets it first and then my father doesn't get it until two years after or the children gets it first and the parents don't get it from for three years after, like the children can go somewhere, but the parents can't. It's a very and they don't they don't go by about it by family. They go about it by just name and number, like your alien number. So you've I've literally always thought I was an alien. So anytime I would hear the word alien, like those cute little movies, E.T. and shit like that, like I never, all of that shit like made me mad. So I would never even get near anything like that because I'm alien versus predator, never watched it. Cause I'm like, I'm the alien. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm never like, I hated all of that shit. So, so, you know, after 15, I was finally able to get my green card. And then you have to have your green card for five years and prove to this country that you're, you're valuable, that you're worth being a citizen here. Uh, even though we are paying our taxes, we are doing everything. I was not able to, I was not able to get the benefits of other citizen people who are citizens. My loans, like if I wanted college loans and stuff like that, I would have to go through private. My FAFSA, you know, people, if they wanted FAFSA loans and stuff like that, it's a completely different process for people with green cards and yeah. it's a percentage and, and things like that. So my, even my college career, my college education didn't go super far because I just wasn't able to figure that out. Um, in terms of loans and stuff. I did, I definitely went to school. I got, you know, uh, in I got a degree at Full Sail University, but that was all through private loans and all through private everything. And it made me go like, you know, $70,000 in debt because, you know, these are the things that immigrants face because it's not like I have like a another family member that's been here from before to tell me like, hey, don't do that. Tell your kid to work hard, get it. And then whatever scholarship he gets at any other school or there's grants to like go to a, a, a CUNY in New York or a, or a local school in LA like this grants like these people will take care of you like no one told us these things we had no idea about anything and we're and it's so interesting for me to hear your story because most of being in California most of the immigrants I know are Mexican immigrants right that their families came over the border you know when they were very small um and a lot of people you know their parents <laughs> were working in fields and things like that which is like a different level of awareness and access then your dad, right? That again, English wasn't his first language, but he had a more, I don't know, professional background, right? Yeah. So it's just interesting to hear both sides of the story. For sure. Uh, you know, so like all of that, all of that stuff accumulated. And, you know, once I turned 20, I was able to finally be allowed to get my citizenship. But then what people don't tell you what's, what's happening is I'm a kid that grew up in low income housing in Astoria we don't got a lot of money, right? Growing up. That's just the, that's just the reality of our situation. So you're telling me I got to pay $750 for the, for the, for the citizenship just to apply, which is now higher. I think it's a thousand dollars at this point. Um, and, uh, and these people and immigrant families are usually living day paycheck to paycheck just to clear their rent. So I got to pay that much. Plus, because I grew up where I grew up, I'm a, I'm, it's not like I don't feel like an American. I felt like the American, an American the entire time. So I'm growing up in, in a neighborhood where I'm getting in trouble outside and I'm getting in trouble with the law because I had no guidance. I had no, you know, anything. So me getting in trouble with the law has now put an ex, now I have to get a lawyer 
And then I also- well, And that just made me sick to my stomach, Anique, because I didn't know that, that you were getting in trouble with the law. And what happened to one of my mentees was she had her, she was a dreamer. So whether it was AB 540 or her green card, she had that and she was working. And then she was in a situation- she was dating somebody and like their, their ex showed up and knocked her out, like got into a fight and knocked her out. And um, she got knocked out and was handcuffed by the police, knocked out and thrown into a car and everybody there got arrested. So she didn't even do anything except for maybe date somebody she shouldn't have been dating. But, and they actually had the body cams showing the police knocking her out and hand, I mean, her getting knocked out and the police handcuffing her unconscious. And the lawyer was like, oh, this will be easy. We have the body cam footage. You didn't even get read your rights. And then she found out she was an immigrant and she said, oh, you can't go testify against the police or they'll deport you tomorrow. So the fact that you had trouble with the law and you even made it that far, like, I mean, again, that just makes me sick to my stomach to hear you went down that route. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hard, right? Because a lot of those things that I got in trouble for was my fault, you know, but that, that goes, that's a different conversation of, you know, what you're getting fed in these neighborhoods, what, what type of education you're getting in these neighborhoods, what type of mentorship you're getting, you're not getting any of those things, you know? So like the things that I'm going through, you know, my parents are at work all day literally from seven in the morning to 7 p.m. So I, there's no guidance there. I'm outside with my friends and being outside with my friends, I'm doing things that you do outside with your friends with no parental supervision, right? When you don't have a nanny, when you can't afford, like, you know, when you don't have these kind of things, what do you think you're doing? You're messing around, you're doing things and stuff like that. And so, you know, those things were all held against me when I was applying for my citizenship. And so I didn't even get to apply for my citizenship until I was 27 years old, because 27 is when I finally got to make kites and I could afford it because it cost me, it cost me on the upwards of five to $8,000 just, just, just for me to get my citizenship because I had to hire a lawyer, I had to, I had to apply for my citizenship and whatever I got even if I wasn't charged, I mean, wasn't uh, accused for it, if I wasn't guilty, regardless, I have to, I have to pay a specific price for everything that I, that I got charged for, regardless of what happened. So, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody else for my, for my mistakes growing up as a, as a kid and stuff like that. Like that's something I did, but also at the same time, like, you know, I do think guidance is important. And I think like, if, these immigrant families and these children had a clear idea of how to work through these processes and a clear idea of how to be like, you know, had some mentorship or had some big brother programs and things like that. I do think some of these things can, cannot be, you know, uh, can, can be avoided, but because English isn't your first language, you don't even know how to seek out these programs. You don't even know how to seek out these things. And so I couldn't even apply until I was 27. And then as soon as I applied is when Trump became, got in office. So, and then my country was, it became a red flag in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, my, uh, uh, my application. So then I waited another three years um, and I didn't, I didn't actually get my date of oath until I was 29 and uh, I got my citizenship. I, I moved to this country in 1992 or 1993 and I got my citizenship in July of 2019. 
man, it's so crazy. Like, because I know you and I know you're good now, but like, I'm hearing the story and biting my nails because it's so stressful. And like, if it stresses me out, man, your parents had to have been like ready to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, you know, everybody was every, every, everybody. The thing is like, I still have people that are going through this in my family, you know, that I, that I literally can't even like say their names or like say how close they are to me. And that's because like these things are still happening, you know, Um, people have passed away back in Bangladesh, important people like my uncle, my cousin, and for my cousin to not be able to go back and see them, you know, to not be able for, for, for them to not be able to like interact or even take a chance to see, you know, what's going on with someone's father if they pass away, what's going on with someone's mother when they pass away. It's like, it's, yeah, it, 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 it gets, it gets sad. It gets, it, 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 it does have a lot of sadness there, but I think what's, what's really important is the fact that like, the fact that like, uh, that's what I think gives immigrants our perseverance and our strength, you know, like it gives us, the willingness to just we we literally can do anything we're like superheroes you know i don't even want to say me like like my father what he's been able to like that's my superhero i've always said even in my raps like i in one of my lines i said i never idolize you rappers i'm a son of a freedom fighter i idolize my father because like rappers ain't never keep food in my fridge rappers ain't never you know did it the hard way a man woke up at four in the morning to go to work and and drive a cab until 6 p.m you know get spit on, you know, get looked down upon his entire life just so his kids can have a better life and have a better education. Like to me, there's, there's no, like, I don't understand anything else in terms of unconditional love and selfishness. And, and so I think that perseverance comes because of the fact that, you know, we are, we're putting, we have to go through these, these things. So, you know, I think, I think it goes hand in hand. That's that's another thing that I really love um, from getting to know you or about the culture is how much respect there is for the multi-generational element, right? Like, um, you know, we haven't mentioned you opened a chai shop. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I loved in the video when you were opening, I think whether it was grandmothers or aunties and stuff, they were all lined up for it, right? Uh, yeah, it was my mother. My mother came with my aunt and my partner's mother, my partner's mother came. And I was shooting a PBS documentary and they asked me, you know, like, how does this feel for you? And like, the only answer I had was like, just pan that way. I don't, I, I can't even explain it in words. And it's just, you know, my mother, my aunt and my partner's mother all sitting in their saris you know in front of in front of kokota chai in front of a establishment that you know uh we were able to create and make um and have a have a foundation in the city when we you know grew up not knowing if we'd get evicted you know like that to see that and to have that that was a that was a very tearful day that was a very that was a very cry heavy day it was good it was a good cry though I mean, it's the sickest thing. And then I love too when you have like your nieces and your nephews and your video. I mean, it really seems like family's everything. Yeah, I mean, all that's all I ever had, right? It's not like I had anything else. And that's okay. You know, I think that's what made us get closer. You know, like 
I wasn't able to go on the field trips and the, you know, like the, 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 the things that cost money to go to or like the summer camps and like all of that shit. Like, so, so all I really had was my family um, creating moments for us to feel better. And that's why I think I also became an entertainer because my father, my house was the entertainment house. It's a one bedroom apartment. Sometimes. Yeah, really? 30, yeah. There'd be 30 people in there sometimes. No. 30 people with a harmonium and a tabla and people just singing and my mother and my aunties in the kitchen somehow cooking some food for us to have all, we, you know, there's no tables. We just all sit on the floor. We put a blanket on the floor, we're all sit on the floor, we start eating. And like, that's how we got through it. You know, that's how we, that's how we made it like ours. That's how we made it comfortable for us. And uh, I, I, I always say that though, as soon as I started volunteering in South Central, I saw that you could take a kid in Beverly Hills that has their parents' car, every video game system, their parents' credit card and a cell phone, and they're always bored. And then you go to South Central and there'll be kids that have nothing. And that's where the creativity comes from. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's how we feel, for sure. So when, when we talk about everything that's happening in music, everything that's happening in entertainment, everything that's happening for creators and how things are changing right now with music and technology and how you connect with fans. Is there anything out there that really inspires you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of creators right now that are inspiring me. Joy Crooks, Priyaragu, like there's like such a beautiful amount of great music coming out of the South Asian community that in 2017, I did not, like when I was doing, I was like, it was just me. Like it, it, re it was really crazy. And it's still sad because I was literally talking to my manager about this and he was like, yo, Nav is from Toronto, which means in terms of a hip hop male rapper, you are the only one from America. And like, just to think about that, like I had to, I, re I really had to sit there and go, holy shit, man. That's actually true. If I take Nav out the equation, MIA is also not from America. Who is the yeah, South Asian? America you know, rapper from, from here. Well, I, I, I thought of one the other day, which is funny because, but it's sad because he was like a parody of himself. Did you ever hear of Haji Springer from the Bay? He was like, he was really big in the hyphy movement, but I went back and I like pulled up his music and it didn't age well, okay. <laughs> but there was a time and a place when like, you know, E-40 was doing Tell Me When To Go and like Keek the Snake was on fire that Haji Springer was rolling all in those circles. And wow, he was fine. great. He was special. Yeah, so so that that inspires me. Um, just the women, women are inspiring me a lot right now from the women rappers who are rapping circles around the men to the people in New York that are developing new parties and the DJs that are like really practicing how to DJ and running circles around the men in terms of just I went to a party the other day and somebody somebody like went from ballet funk into Bhangra and I almost lost my mind and I, and it wasn't a South Asian person I was like what is going on in here you know and I was like that's I went to an Indian wedding in which first of all I wish I could go to an Indian wedding every single month because <laughs> I loved getting dressed up and yeah. I love me some henna, right? So I'm like all about it. Like I still have my Indian wedding dress in my closet and I'm like, could I rock this? Uh, like just on a Thursday. But um, uh, 
when we were dancing on the dance floor that night, again, completely multi-generational dance floor. And they were going from Indian music to reggaeton. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the clave. It's the same, you know, that clave, that off center snare, that's a universal, whether it's Afrobeat or reggaeton or dembo or ballet funk or bhangra, we all share that off, off kilter, like, you know, like every, everyone shares that, clave which is like the heart of and that's what the rhythm's called it's called a clave rhythm so you can have you can have an afrobeat going poof, ka, ka, poof, ka, ka. you can have a bhangra thing going and it's all that off snare that off kilter hit and it it's just a heartbeat that like everyone if you're not from america understands i don't know it's like no, i didn't know that that's what that was but that makes sense to me now that's dope yeah for sure i love it um, and then how about if you could change one thing about the music business, what would it be? Uh, one thing I'd probably change is uh, when these labels hire people to work for them, it'd just be a more diverse uh, hiring. Because I think we're including artists now in terms of campaigns and brands and stuff like that. But the people still working at Nike, the people still working at Atlantic or places like that, like there's no West, there's no like East African person working there. There's no South Asian person working there. I can actually count in my hands the South Asian people that are working, you know, that are in charge of work, of, of an artist's rollout or stuff like that. And I think the problem I've always faced is like, how can someone who's never seen something or not from where I'm from or not grow up the way I grew up believe and help me in terms of an engine that could only go so far when russell simmons and these guys were able to penetrate the music industry and then start signing people that came from where they came from it was a very linear i understand what you're going through i know exactly how we need to push this this is how we're going to do it and puffy you've seen the amazing artists that they've been able to develop and 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 have for the world to share and I, I would love if the music industry can one day start hiring people to do that for the people who are making music now. You know, I would love if somebody gave Fat Joe a, 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 uh, a like a like a executive A and R position or something, and he can directly be responsible for, you know, a Puerto Rican woman's career. You know, I would love for me or someone you know someone like that like a mia to be able to you know be like come in and be the head of marketing and be like yeah i don't know how to market this i do we don't need to do this meme for this person we need to do this meme for this person or whatever the case may be when they are you know sharing sharing themselves that that integration in the actual side of the industry i think would be very helpful for a lot of people because i think then they'll be able to help a lot of kids that are don't feel like are getting spoken to you know yeah, there's such a gap too you're right you really nailed it talking about like the record labels hiring a more diverse staff i had somebody give me an a and r confessional the other day it was a white man who worked at a record label and did a and r and we were talking about the lack of female producers in music right which is just abysmal I mean, you know, there was like that 2020 report that it was only 2%. And I think the 
the only two that charted from 2020 that were produced by women was one, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You charted. And she was listed as a producer and like Ariana Grande was listed as a producer on a track. And like, God bless them both, but that doesn't count, right? And, um, but he said, you know, A&R reps will be in meetings with the president and they want to look like they're doing big things. So they'll say like, oh yeah, I signed this artist and they're going in the studio with Mike Wilmade and Max Martin and so-and-so. And they're scared to say unknown names or women producers that don't have big hits. And it's a, like, what comes first, chicken or the egg scenario? Sure, yeah. It, it's also like a time right now where I don't think, labels believe in artist development anymore so they're not they're not signing kids with potential they're signing kids after they pop there's like a like the fact that there's an app it's probably one of the most self-conscious things for artists but the fact that there's an app that an and I know it's helpful on one side it's very helpful but on the other side that there's an app that you can put in type in the artist see what type of streams are making see what's going on and then be like yeah well from your number is like this is how much we can give you because what are you serious? Is there really an app or you're just saying there's yeah, one? No, no, no. I, I, there is. I remember when I was trying to find some help in terms of marketing for my stuff before denied and approved came out. And because I hadn't put stuff out in four years with kites, you know, there's somebody literally put my numbers in an app, calculated how much they would make, you know, dependent on the numbers that I was at, at the point. And they were like, this is how much of a deal you'll probably get. And what is that? Do you know? I forgot the name of it. I'll get it. I'll get it for you though. But yeah, uh, like you know, it's, so- you know, it's positive though. I'll go on the flip side. I read this great article this week. Um, Trapital had a uh, article called "The Outcast Edge," mm-hmm. and it talked it. It talked about Outcast and their formula. First, uh, creating content for like-minded outsiders. And then building an audience on independent platforms and playing the long game and how, you know, where the artists that were probably on the app were fans or fads, right? It's like the outcast edge builds empires. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's a model that I believe in for sure, you know? Um, but yeah, that's. I would, that would, those would be my two things. It's like, I wish there were more inclusion in the actual label world. Like those people who are hiring people there, if they would hire more people. Like, I got to shout out Empire because they definitely had like, like Ghazi and Nima. Like these are the first times I've heard even names like that, that, that for, you know, like to have names like that and to be from the Middle East and, and be able to be like, yeah, I'm responsible for blowing up this artist or that artist, which is, which is really cool. But that's like one out of like, you know, so many, so many places and, and yeah, the but other- it's cool to what Sal is doing, you know. That was uh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really Sal, Sal is great. moving yeah. the family and culture forward, you know, globally. For sure. I wish, yeah. I I don't know him, but I know that they're doing they're doing wonderful stuff. And and then and then just the development part. I feel like I feel like there are artists that are worth risk taking the extra leap and being like, you know what, we want to develop this will probably, you know, have to spend more than 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 make this first round, but it's going to be worth it in terms of if you're seeing this from the long haul in terms of a a bigger, you know, conversation. But yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I love it. Well, okay. After we've gone through all the deep conversations, if somebody was going to do like an, a neat con starter kit, what would you want them to listen to first? Or like talk about one of the things I think is really interesting about your music is, and this is a huge compliment. You show so many different sides of your personality, right? Like I once heard Kanye say, that like back in the day, LL Cool J was the sexy rapper and Common was the smart guy and Will Smith was the funny guy and 50 Cent was the gangster. And he said he wanted to make an album that showed all sides of his personality because nobody's just one thing. And I think you really do that too. Um, where, where should people start? I think people should start at Kites, which is my project from 2017, any record. I know, but like if you were to just pick a few songs, like I think it's asking people a lot to just dig into like somebody. I would I would start with the actual song kites. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I would move then into big facts. And then I would move into the borough from denied. And that would that would that would be the three, I think. I think three is good. Okay. If I have to give a fourth, it would be Santa Maria. And that would be it. That's a great song. Yeah. That's a great after party. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much, Anik. So what people need to know, they need to know the music's out, approved and denied. They denied need to know. Approved, comes out on September 10th. And they need to know the tour dates have dropped. Yep. Tour dates have dropped. You can buy your tickets now. I'm so excited for that. Um, uh, I have my tickets in October for LA at the Peppermint Club, which is a great venue, great venue. Didn't need to get put on the list, but if it gets super packed, you might have to look out for me. Uh, and um, also, I'm really excited about all this merch, too. I'm excited about the merch. I can't wait for you to have one. I'm going to send you all of you. You're going to get a package. You're going to get a package. It's gonna be you don't have to send me a package. Like, I really want to support artists in, you know, any way I can. Like I said, if there's a line around the block outside the Peppermint Club, you're going to get a text from me. Like, dude, come get me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that works just fine with me. Um, all right. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. That's a wrap. Listen to Anique's new EPs, Denied and Approved, which are out now. And also, you should come hang with me at his show in October at the Peppermint Club. And don't forget, pay attention to the Idea Fountain's IG and newsletter for more info on our creator book club. Death of the Artist is kicking off September 22nd at 4 p.m. on IG Live. We all have together to champion creators now more than ever. Thanks for listening.